This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. (laughs) I wish sometimes we could capture what happens right before we start recording, but there would always be a time before we started recording that we could never quite capture. So it's like like an existential math crisis, really, when you you just think about it. Yeah, it's like the picture of the pet milk cow on the cover of the can of pet milk i don't know anything about this tell me well, more there was a on the in the olden days i don't even know if they still have pet milk because it sounds kind of gross when you think about it um <laughs> who milks it's their milk pet? from your pets <laughs> you milked your pet that's disgusting but um they used to have uh there was a pet condensed milk it was the can and on the can was a picture of the can of pet milk with a cow's head sticking out of it. Oh, and right. so if there was a, but if the cow's head was sticking out of a can of pet milk on the can of pet milk, would mm. there have been a picture of the cow with his head sticking out of a can of pet milk with his head sticking out of a can of pet milk with his, you know. It's like the infinite mirror effect you get if that's you took right. two mirrors across And so from that's each the other. same thing. If we showed the part right before we started, if we captured the part as you described it right before we started, right. then the part right before we started would be the part before that. It's way existential, Stimpy. It's yeah, just absolutely. really, it's, it's heavy, man. It's very philosophical. It's, heavy. it's cosmic. Well, listen, we, we had a lunch break before we did this, and, and there was I had to text the guys that I wasn't going to be ready to go when I thought we were going to be ready to go because I said I had a pork incident. <laughs> I had a pork incident, which was, which was dramatically misinterpreted by the gentleman on the other end of the text thread. I shall just say, and I'll leave it at that. And Eric will have no comments and no inputs because he's absolutely. Never has any I, well, what did I could possibly have to say about a pork incident? Um, it was suggested that it might be a good name for a uh, a gay porn film by somebody. Somebody who's not me or Christopher, so I'm just, I'm not naming any names, but I'm saying who wasn't. Um, Yes, which I think it probably should be if it's not. So gay porn producers out there, feel free to make a film called The Pork Incident. Um, (laughs) We give you complete permission for our terrible half-baked unexplained idea. Really Um, awful idea. Yes, apparently Christopher forgot to make his lunch. I which did. was going I to be pork. To make my lunch. I, I pushed really, the wrong I'm, button. I'm I'm not I'm I'm moving at half steam today, but you know, it's good that we talk about murder and mayhem a lot on this show because it amps me up along with this Coke Zero that I'm enjoying from the comfort of my remote recording studio. <laughs> 
here in beautiful West Hollywood, California. We are doing our second installment. And see how I just slip into game show announcer voice like that? I'm just ready. I'm just always ready. Ready with that to go. Voice. It's almost like you had sugar at lunch because that's what really works. But I didn't. I had pork. And I, yeah. if you didn't hear, and I had cauliflower rice, riced cauliflower. So I, I had no sugar. Uh, I just have narcissism keeping me going. This that is our second. Work. This is our <laughs> second installment. Trying to cut you off for before you made a years comment. In good stead so far. So yeah, <laughs> I think that should really work. All right, enough banter, Eric Sharkoin. Don't you know the people don't like banter? They like all reading. That's why I've written. 500 pages of notes the about what we're going to talk about. We're just going to read them aloud. Okay. That's no, great. I didn't actually. We're going to read the movie script of this we're going week's to read aloud. true crime movie time. Because if you didn't want listen last week, we right. are doing the movie they made of the true crime TV time. Uh, true. No, you're just no, a mess. True crime TV club um, yes. that we did last week. Yes. Now we're doing it's true a, crime movie time. It's a true crime duet. I just came up with that. Last week, we did the same crime with a... In True Crime TV Club, if you don't know what we're talking about or it's your first time listening to us, please don't turn us off yet because we get better. But um, True Crime <laughs> yeah, TV Club... I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> is when this we is pretty, serve up... It's pretty much all like this. True Crime TV Club is when we serve up an hour-long, usually an hour-long, true crime documentary for you, and we break it down in such detail that you don't feel like you don't have to watch it, and maybe you don't want to, based on what we said. Um, True Crime Movie Time is when we assess and uh, analyze a feature film inspired by a true crime, so we're doing the same crime uh, two weeks in a row, and that is the serial killings of Robert Hansen in Alaska. And last week, if you want to get a sort of fact-based analysis of, of Robert Hansen and his reign of terror in the Alaskan wilderness, check out our previous episode. Uh, but today, we're going to be talking the about a cinematic-based version of Robert Hansen's reign of terror in yeah, Anchorage, Anchorage, Alaska? Anchorage, Alaska. And today, we are going to be talking about a movie called The Frozen Ground, starring Nicolas Cage... John Cusack and Vanessa Hudgens. And I just want to point something out, Eric Shawquin, and I know yeah. this is not intentional. What? The first true crime movie time we did was a movie called King Cobra. That's correct. Starring Garrett Clayton. This one stars Vanessa Hudgens. These are both, unintentionally, we picked two different attempts the for Disney. former Disney stars to completely destroy their child star mystique by playing absolutely down in the dumps. Uh, sex workers involved with criminal conspiracies, <laughs> like both. And it worked because both are yeah. now, you know, on a whisper campaign for the next Oscar for best actor yeah. and actress. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like that. All you have to do right. is, yeah, play a down and out sex worker. And there you are. Um, yeah. I, interesting that Disney um, uh, people are attracted to those kinds of parts. Yes. So, um, all right. I admire. All right. Okay all then. Right. Let's get serious. I admire your no. um, your critique, your firm critiquing mind. So I'm just going to set you loose. What did you think of the film? Like, there's analyzing it as something inspired by a true crime, which we know some about because of our last right. episode. And then there's analyzing it as a movie. I have to say, as a movie, my expectations were. Uh, a little bit exceeded. I wasn't blown away, but this is a movie that kind of flopped in the box office. It came out. It went mostly straight to video. Nobody really talked about it. And then it was put on Netflix. 
just as a matter of course. Unlike all those other big box office Vanessa Hudgens films. Right. And it rocketed to the top 10 of Netflix and was there for a week. And everyone's like, what is this movie? Where did it come from? So the answer is it came from a a poor showing in the box office and is now available on Netflix. And it still is as of this recording. I hope that it wasn't because a bunch of people said, oh, Vanessa Hudgens is in it. Oh, this will be great for the kids. Let's let them watch it. Oh, my God. That would be such a mistake. Yes. That would really a be a serious mistake because this is a pretty dark, uh, pretty dark film. I think my first reaction was, did you ever notice how much um, Nicolas Cage looks like Frank Langella? Yes. Yeah. That's a totally and it never on. occurred to me that was he's getting older. Um, mm-hmm. This was relatively recent. It was, you know, six years ago, seven years ago. So it's not that recent. But um but you know he's getting uh, he's an older man now and uh, right a little jowly and it just really there was a moment where right in the the first of him when we were first meeting him, um, I thought my God he really looks a lot like Frank Langella. It had never occurred mm-hmm. to me before. You had noticed that before, huh? No, I I just said you're right. I, my yes meant you're right. It didn't mean I noticed it before. Oh. I apologize for answering incorrectly. Yeah, oh. I hadn't noticed it before. Oh, I thought you had. Oh well, well, yeah. It does. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that you at least acknowledge that. You know that I'm not crazy. Um, you're not. No, you're not crazy. <laughs> well, I am, but this isn't the proof. Um, right. Um, I you know like in general like I was interested to see how they would take the substance of this crime and make it into a movie years and years ago. Um, there was a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, it was nonfiction, which is not something I typically read called midnight in the garden of good and evil. And it was Mm -hmm. an amazing read. It really was. It was really something, but it was nonfiction and was very much, you know, I think Berent, Jeremy Barrent, isn't that right? John, I think John Barrent. John yeah. Barrent um, mm-hmm. was was actually a journalist, so it had that kind of quality. He had had to stay in Savannah for a period and wrote about the local. It was really a fascinating book. And later, Clint Eastwood um, made a movie of it, and it was a I thought really unfortunate, and not because they did a bad job, but because they tried to recreate the book exactly. They had mm-hmm. tried to retell, and that did not work. Mm-hmm. They needed to adapt it. Adapting is really its own challenge, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it's like, okay, well, that was not it. Too far away from the story or too close, and I was wondering with this, and I thought that the choices they made, I could see why they made them. You know, like mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't completely jettison the original story. They stuck no. with the basic bones of what we had to talk about. It was really interesting to do it the way that we did it, to see the actual crime and then see the movie. It was like, oh, all right, that's the choice they made. And that's the way I thought it hung together pretty well. And I thought did a pretty credible job of developing the crime, the The choice to make um, Vanessa's character more central to the story, you could see how they would come to make that. And really, the, the, the young woman who she was portraying was pivotal in, as, as I said in the last episode, she was the luckiest woman in Alaska on that mm-hmm. day that, um, 
that she arrived in that other story and she was pivotal to the crime coming to light in the way that it did. The thing that I really, my big question in it, and maybe you got this and I didn't, was like, where did um, Nicolas Cage work? That is I was a very so good question. unclear. It was like, like the Anchorage police were one yeah. thing, and then he was something else, and he mm-hmm, didn't seem mm-hmm. to be the FBI. And so I, I was like, who the hell is, is what this I think. guy? I think he was an investigative branch of the Alaska State Troopers because the body, he arrives, the first time we see him, he's arriving in the rural river area to discover the first partial remains. And that's outside Anchorage. So that would that would not be the jurisdiction of Anchorage police. So I think right. he was working. And then in the previous special we talked about in the last episode, the Alaska State Troopers are who were called immediately to come out and examine that body. So that's the impression that I got. And, and I think the FBI was maybe be separate from him but it often felt like he was working out of the FBI office too I just was really it was it was very un, but that really does clear it up because the Anchorage police would have investigated the attack on Cindy whatever her name was the Paulson. Vanessa Hedgens character right um Whereas they wouldn't, we probably should get into the actual storytelling so that and, we right, don't, and, because people will not know what we're talking about but that was my biggest question from walking away but let's and also, I think you've answered it Right, and let's talk about this. This is the allegedly the first time that uh, we talked about who Cindy Paulson is in real life on the previous special about this case, but that special did not name her. It was, and she is the young woman, the only young woman to escape this serial killer, Robert Hansen. She managed to get away from him, flag down a truck driver. She's not named in the previous special, and it sounds like she isn't because she has never told her story or cooperated before. And one of the things that sort of was an ignition point for this film is that she worked directly with the filmmakers and shared her account with them for the first time. And she was connected with the writer and director of the movie, Scott Walker, by the inspiration for the Nicolas Cage character, whose name has changed. Again, this is what we saw with the previous True Crime TV Club. Real people, even though they are sympathetically portrayed, get their names changed in these movies for reasons that are not entirely clear to me. I don't know if it's legal or what. So those oh, are I just thought some... he was, I thought it was the guy. Cause at the end they did that thing about him staying in Alaska and it, no, his real name is, uh, Glenn, uh, Floth. That is his real name. And in the movie he is called, uh, Sergeant Jack Halcom. Yeah, that is, <laughs> so true. I don't know why. Glenn Floth. Yes, F L O T H E. Okay, that's because that's a terrible name. <laughs> I don't think that's. You think that's why they were like your Officer name's Floth. Shitty. <laughs> hey, Officer Floth. Officer yeah, Floth. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. a terrible. That's a, it's like the rural juror. It's just yeah. it's one of those names where it's like, yeah, that's not it. Um, yeah. So maybe they just changed it because it wasn't very cinematic. I mean, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the name, right? You know, it's not like it's. Glenn Buttcrack or something, but it's, mm-hmm. um, but it would be, I think, difficult to say. Okay, it wouldn't read. So, but um, probably there was something more significant in making the choice. They probably amalgamated him with more than one character, right? Possibly, because that often happens. So exciting stuff, and I look forward to comparing it to the special we watched last week. <laughs> Oh, 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. So the movie, The Frozen Ground, opens sort of in the middle of the special we watched previously. And that is with Cindy Paulson running out into the middle of the street and flagging somebody down. That's actually not pictured in the movie. The movie opens with... um, Cops being called to a motel. Vanessa Hudgens, playing Cindy Paulson, is in a motel bathroom, handcuffed, screaming. She holds up her handcuffs. The cop comes in. Oh, my God, what is this? This woman is completely out of her mind. Her wrists are damaged. Um, She's brought into the police station. She tells a story of being abducted by this man. It, It becomes clear to the person interviewing her, who I think is FBI, that uh, she is a sex worker and she is possibly lying to them about her age, which are two reasons. I think that was, I think that was Anchorage police. You think that was the, the police officer? I don't think that they, I don't think there was any FBI involvement until way later in the story. I think that was Anchorage police because she was brought in by the patrol officer who believed her and was sympathizing the person who brought Mm -hmm. her in from the motel. And then she was kind of dismissed by these Mm -hmm. other, um, interviewers who were sort of questioning her story, like right. dressed like that. How would you know? How could you possibly mm-hmm. or whatever? It was, yeah, it was, it was kind of a me too moment. Right, it was absolutely, and I think there's a lot of that threaded through the movie and analysis, which there was was alluded to in our previous special that the protocol for investigating. She claims that she was raped. She claims she was held hostage and also raped by this guy. And they do not have the protocol for investigating rape allegations that would exist today that would be automatically triggered. She she wasn't examined, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, no rape kit, nothing. Right. So she's kind of kicked to the curb, for lack of a better term. We cut to... Um, it's a beautifully directed film. Like it's really, the production value was higher than I expected it to be. Gorgeous shots of, it's shot in Alaska. Um, gorgeous scenery. It was really remarkable. I have rarely seen something filmed in actual snowstorms the way this was that, that like seeing, I know it's not in order of the film, but seeing the, um, Seeing the streetwalkers, seeing the prostitutes out on the street yeah. in the driving snow trying yeah. to solicit. I was like, wow, that's a hard life. You know, like it yeah. was really, they really captured it. And I initially in those scenes, and we can we can bounce all over and whatever and summarize some of the crimes here. But I thought, wow, that's a lot of people in the what they call the track, which was the area where the sex Seems workers really were. really busy. But I... It, we learned in the previous special that the Trans-Alaska Pipeline had just brought an enormous amount of people to Anchorage for work, that they were handing out money to try to get people to, to work on the pipe and in the, as roughnecks. So maybe it wasn't that unrealistic to depict the sidewalks as I being don't know. that crowded. The, the, the city looked really busy, I have mm-hmm. to say. There were moments, particularly early on, where I was like, wow, that's a lot of traffic. Was Anchorage in the snow really this busy? The, the yeah. sort of desolate shots really played more to the sort of Alaska picture I have in my head. But what do I know about Alaska? 
I know, right? I've been the director to said in an interview that I found, the director said that they they had planned to shoot in a narrow window before the major storm uh, snows were going to hit, and the major snows hit right as they started shooting. They said they were constantly shooting in the snow, and it was great. They did a terrific yeah. job, and it really made the movie. I thought it became it made Alaska more a character in the film than I think it would have been otherwise. Yeah. So Vanessa Hudgens gets dismissed, degraded, sort of talked down to in general. We cut to a helicopter streaking over the remote Alaska wilderness, and we meet our hero detective, Nicolas Cage, who sets down at a site near a river where he is brought to the partial remains of a corpse. And I think this is when the special we reviewed last week and the movie really kind of sync up. Began you know? to coincide. That's where the yeah. other, that's where the, the crime, I think that's where the true crime TV show started, where... Yes. Cold-hearted killers or whatever it was called. Ice-cold killers, yeah. Ice-cold killers, yes. Mm-hmm. See how I changed the name of everything? This is what Christopher's always talking about. But cold-hearted killers is so is so much more poetic. I like it more. Uh, you always yeah. improve the name as you change it. That's so, true, too. Tangled up in the partial remains are the evidence, or blindfold evidence, as we heard in the previous special. Right. Um, I think they find the shell casing right away from what's a high-powered rifle, yes. a two twenty three, I think, caliber rifle. Um, and Nicolas Cage realizes his character, Holcomb, realizes right away that this is something really kind of diabolical and unusual. And he begins, uh, he immediately goes back to the station. We are then introduced to the plot that the studio executives made them insert, which is my least favorite trope in all cop dramas, and I call it the wife who doesn't understand. <laughs> the difficult wife who is pressuring the cop hero to do stuff he doesn't want to do or to take his focus on the job. So she's clearly in, there's some move afoot. Like They're they getting ready to move back to the lower 48. They're leaving yeah. Alaska. She's had it. She's quit her job and she wants him to focus on the move and not the, the job. And the boss, of course, knowing that he's leaving in two weeks, lands him with this gigantic case, which also seems like a cop trope, an unrealistic yes. cop trope, which I I don't particularly believe. So you get that. And then, you know, for the trifecta of cop tropes, one of the patrol officer who believed the young woman um, who, was, who escaped from the serial killer, Cindy, um, mm-hmm. Vanessa Hudgens' character, uh, is put off by the way that the the um, the police officers in Anchorage treat her, and so he bundles up all of the case files and evidence from that mm-hmm. case, and he mails it to wherever the hell it is, the Alaska Probably troopers the or troopers, whatever yeah. office, the state troopers' office where um, where Nicholas Cage works. So the confluence is at the moment he gets assigned the case. The guy with the mail from the mailroom shows up and says, "Hey, this is whoever's in charge of this case," and so they hand it to Nicholas Cage, and the connection is made. Yeah. Um, let me add this in here because this was sort of a dominant choice in the film, and it's something that Scott Walker touched on in his interview that I found. We know we're sort of they're pretty clear about who the killer is. We know from casting who the killer is. We are in the opening of this movie not focusing on the killer. We're focusing on the cops 
and the victims, which is a very, right. I think, contemporary modern way to tell the story. It's, I actually prefer it. You know, we're not in basements with him as he's working himself up into a frenzy and getting ready to go abduct somebody. We're really those are the two dominant points of view: Nicolas Cage, Vanessa Hudgens, uh, and that was intentional on the part of the director. So um, he gets the files as you described. He begins to dive into the case, and I would just like to say, in fairness. In from my impression from the, the the true crime TV club version of this was that pretty much right from the start, the police were convinced that Bob Hansen, the mm-hmm. John Cusack character, was the killer. But because mm-hmm. of the alibi, they couldn't pursue him, and right. so they didn't. But eventually, that's a you, so this is set up as though there's some sort of you know, resistance to going after Mm -hmm. him. But I don't think that's actually true. I think they were, that the cops were actually, this is the guy. We just can't prove it yet. Yeah. And I I think, let me ask you this, because we talked about this in the previous special. Um, Hanson is questioned uh, based on Cindy Paulson's testimony. He has an alibi. In the special, we talked about two card-playing friends who basically presented a false alibi on his behalf. Is that in the movie, or did I miss it? I think it's left it out of the movie. Really, just sort of glanced across in the movie. It is in the movie, but it's not really in the way that it was portrayed. Yeah. Because what they said in the True Crime TV Club version was that they went back to them and said, "We're going to arrest you if you don't right. tell us the truth about these." And they just folded like card tables they were like oh yeah no we weren't with him he asked us to do this he said he was being blackmailed and we were trying to help out a friend and yeah no that's absolutely not we were not with him we don't know where he was right absolutely and so that was key to the to the other and it it gets addressed in this a little bit but Mm -hmm. by the time they've gotten to that point in this story they've added they've tried to amp up the um the dramatic tension uh, mm-hmm. using several other devices. And so it kind of gets downplayed because yeah. by that point he's gone on the airplane trip to dispose of the evidence, which I'm getting ahead of the story again, but, but that was get, the big, let's get into the what those, difference. let's get into those devices. I think the thing, major thing that's missing is we are not treated to an interrogation scene early on in the movie of, of Robert Hansen played by John Cusack. That scene is not shown so that we can move more quickly through the other no. stuff. Right. We never see any of that stuff at all. In fact, they don't even really show him being the criminal. Yeah. Like, well, there's they a do woman show who him gets abducted, abducted yeah. the, right. who gets abducted and taken away. But that's until then. There's no real sense of that he's the guy until the reveal happens. Right. And so do we want to go to the woman being abducted or is there stuff we haven't covered yet before I get to that part? I think part? that's the next place to go, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, I think, and I think those scenes were difficult. They they didn't, they certainly didn't seem as gratuitous to me as the reenactments in the special we saw about it, which I commented on as being kind of gross. Um, they're really scary and disturbing. John Cusack does a great job. Uh, I don't know if there's any reality to the idea that he had a woman locked up in his house and a neighbor came and knocked on the door, which is a scene they present in the movie as a suspense device. Well, that's actually in a flashback. That's actually Cindy's story. So I think that that may have been... Yeah. When Cindy is flashing back to being held captive in the basement, Mm. um, 
Yeah, there are a couple of elements that are part of Cindy's story that I think may have come from being in touch with her. That yeah. that's Cindy retelling the story and in the original True Crime TV Club version, when the police went to look at his house, she described as being held in a basement where all of these trophies were present. And mm-hmm. when they went back to look, the trophies weren't present. It's part of the uh. reason they do, they doubted her story. But in the movie, they say, and I don't know if this is something they invented, that he had reported a lot of the trophies stolen, and so he had hidden them. Like, Mm -hmm. finding them was actually a part of the revelation that he was lying to the police about it. It was for insurance fraud that Mm. um, that was how they actually brought him in in the first place. So these may be elements that fleshed out because Cindy talked about, was willing to talk about her story with them, whereas she was not even willing to be named in the other. They, in the end, I will jump ahead just for this one element. In the end, they reveal that Cindy has since moved to the lower 48 and got married and has two kids and, you know, has a regular life. So you can see how she might be maybe a little more reluctant to be included in a a project that's kind of going to, you know, depict some of her more checkered past. Right. I I also want to reveal at the PTA. But behind the scenes, too, the director and writer Scott Walker flew to Alaska to meet with Glenn uh, Floth, as we said previously. He is the inspiration for the Nicolas Cage character. And Glenn's response apparently was, I'm not the hero of this movie. Cindy is. And you need to talk to her. And he put the filmmaker in touch with Cindy. And the Vanessa Hudgens portrayal was born. You know, and so maybe more of that is, you know, stuff that we just didn't know about from the true crime part, because she's mentioned and she's key, but they don't really do reveal the le- the extent to which she was a participant in the process. Right. Absolutely. Not um, in the true crime one. In the movie one. I mean, she is as key as Nicolas Cage is. Right. And you already mentioned the scene where they're they're, they're sort of kind of low-key following Hanson during this entire time, as you pointed out. They really think he's guilty. They just can't get it. We're introduced to a district attorney who doesn't think they have enough. We That scene feels a little by the numbers, but possibly accurate. But it's you know. probably true, you know, right. like, because they won't, why, why go to trial if you're going to lose the case? Because you can't prosecute it a second time if you lose. And if you don't, if you know you're not going to have what you need to to prosecute it, you don't have what you need to prosecute it. I, I right. think that's actually probably a pretty realistic part, and maybe repetitive, but probably a pretty realistic part of the process. Let me ask you about this, because I was wondering if this was just a product of condensation in the in the previous special that we saw, the True Crime TV uh, Club special we saw about it. It sounded as if when Cindy was actually abducted in real life, she had already been a a topless dancer at the club where we'll later learn a lot of the other victims were also working. In this movie, they depict it as her getting the job after she has been abducted by him. Because she doesn't want to be on the street anymore. Because she doesn't want to be on the streets, which is a setup later for something that I think was a device that the movie entered, which is Hanson goes to the club just to hang out, sees her, she freaks out, and it escalate. He begins to make and, a sort of yeah. And once again, I think these are aspects of the story that may have been revealed mm-hmm. because Cindy was included in the story this time. Right. Like Fitty Scent actually plays her pimp, who becomes mm-hmm. a character in the story who agrees with the help of somebody who uh, Hanson is hired to kill her to do that. I don't know if those things are true. They may have been added as um, dramatic elements of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
But um, yeah, we don't know that because Cindy wasn't a part of the first storytelling that we yeah. actually saw. So maybe this really happened. Maybe it didn't. I'm tending to err on the side of, I think that all of these are a product of Cindy telling this story. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So the moment where uh, Robert Hansen, played by John Cusack, goes into the topless dance club and recognizes uh, Cindy uh. and vice versa is about 50 minutes into the movie. And yeah. that's when they really start to ratchet up the tension. And I, I, I think here's what I also know from the interview that I found that Cindy was very happy with the film. It, that it has her blessing. So I think that lends some support to your idea that these may be dimensions of the story that were just never made public before. Because honestly, if they told, if the true crime TV um, club version just left out the part where he offered to pay somebody $10,000 to kill her, like that's a pretty big omission or it's a pretty big leap forward in the dramatic license that the movie takes. And I didn't have that impression. Yeah. Uh, and I thought possibly that it was a contrivance because if she was truly already working at the topless club, it wouldn't, it would have, it would, they needed to create a moment where Hanson was shocked to see her there. And if she had already been working there when he picked her up off the street, it, that moment was less credible. But I don't know. I'm inclined to believe what you're saying. That it Honestly, like, they, so many of the women worked at that, what was it called? The Cherry Hill or the whatever Wild it was. The Wild Cherry, yeah. The Wild yeah. Cherry Club. Like so many of the women worked at the Wild Cherry Club. I tend to think that maybe that was a contrivance that was added. Mm -hmm. That -hmm. whole thing of her being involved because, but what it did bring in was the discussion of her becoming more involved with drugs. Right. Um, in and as a way of, as a coping mechanism for how much stress she was under, but still, you know, Mm -hmm. a very young woman being, um, already abused and exploited by that life that she was leading. And, you know, getting involved in things that weren't in her best interest, making bad right. choices in and around drugs and whatever. It may have been a way of telling that part of the story. Yeah. Um, I, there are, at this point, uh, the Nicolas Cage character is engaging with Cindy. He's trying to get her to be willing to testify, to be more forthcoming. She feels sort of not inclined to do that for a variety of reasons. She's not a very trusting person. And there is a scene with them in a roller rink where he says to her, what about your family? Do you need help? You know, and it's a kind of naive stumble that he makes because her family was apparently the epicenter of the abuse she suffered as a young person. And part of the reason she ran away, he then says as a way of opening up to her, you know, my sister 
died in a terrible uh, car accident. That's actually true. I was sitting there thinking, oh, God, oh, yeah? they made that up for the movie. That is absolutely true. That's a, he, Scott Walker that discusses that in the That was something they had in common. That was something they had in common. That they had lost was, somebody they yeah. cared about. That's really, yeah. that's, hmm. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting uh, detail, and I, I, I'm glad that you told me that because, yeah, that was something I just thought was totally movie scriptwriter 101 of yeah of the picture of the of the the girl the thing that i that they did show in the movie that i think was absolutely true was and it's the question that you always have in your mind in any of these circumstances is that he convinces her to stay in alaska because Mm -hmm. like this shit goes down and she goes to the airport and gets a plane ticket and is planning to leave the state because i would too you know what i mean like i i was i'm with her like it made it was so real you know Mm -hmm. and that for the guy then to identify her as being the hero of the piece, that makes sense for that having been true because then she would have made a decision to stay and try and help so that she could actually, you know, mm-hmm. prevent this guy from doing it again and again because he was pretty frank with her that they felt like he was doing this, that she wasn't the only one. She was just the only one that got away. So what do we think of what happens next, which is Nicolas Cage brings her to his house with his family and his wife flips out and basically says she's got to go. Oh, that's got to be movie. Yeah. I just, I I just, that happens in the movies and I just think, so I'm sorry. So all of the motels were full? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the whole city, there wasn't a single hotel room you could put her in with a police officer, a police woman sitting outside. Like, are you crazy? That just there's just no reason to do that except to create that conflict so that she runs back into the arms of the pimp who's trying to help the contract killer Mm -hmm. um, get his hands on her. That 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 was what made me dubious of the contract killer part of it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because all of that plays into that, her running back into the arms of the pimp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, I, maybe that's true, but that seemed very contrived to me. I just, why would you need to take her back to your house? I just, I don't see why that would be a, a thing. Maybe, but I doubt it. Right, and the actress playing the wife is Rada Mitchell, so she's not a you know she's not somebody you don't give screen time to in a movie. She's no, kind of she's not wonderful. a huge star, but she's right. She's good, and but yeah, it felt really puffed up to me, and I thought it was a contrivance. And I also because it's it's the beginning of a series of choices where I thought, oh God, if this movie turns into just watching Cindy's self-destructive choices sort of sink this thing or bring it close to destruction, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit through the rest of it. You know, it it also set up the um. The, the the resolution between Nicolas Cage and the wife. Yeah. Like, right. because she turns the corner on this when she realizes how dedicated he is and they decide to stay in Alaska. So he may have been planning to move away and as a result of this case, he stayed in Alaska. I don't know. It yeah. certainly, he certainly got a better job apparently as a result of, or subsequent to this big, um, this big case. But, um, but that's how they... That's how they set it up in this. Right. It is her first, she makes the big scene. And so Vanessa runs away into the, you know, into the night, mm-hmm. jumps in the cab, goes back to the pimp's house. And then he takes her to try and hand her over to the, um, the uh, contract killer who is going to forgive him some gambling debt or some sort of debt that he owes in exchange for uh, the girl, for Cindy. Um, right. 
And just as a refresh here, the contract killer has basically been hired by Robert Hansen to take her out so that she can't say anything about him or testify against him. Uh, Right. So how did you feel about how that storyline resolved itself? The pimp abducts her. He drives her out to the snow, way out into the middle of nowhere, Alaska. And then... Yeah, the contract killer. Then he punches out the contract killer for... I disrespecting his bitch. I wasn't really sure what, like it was such a reversal. He's gone to all of this trouble to take Vanessa Hudgens to deliver him her to the contract killer. And then when he gets there, he punches. My impression was that he expected Vanessa Hudgens to team up with him against the contract trailer. Cause he says, get the money. He says, get the money. And she says, I'm too good for this. And she runs into the guy's car and steals it and drives off with it. Yeah. And manages to get away. Again, I don't know if any of this was real. All of that really seemed it just seemed really fictionalized Hollywood. because yeah. then he pursues her back to the motel where she goes back to. Mm-hmm. They chase her th- through, and then they rescue her. But he just gets away, and that's it. And he's never mentioned again. And he's yeah. also not included in the the wrap up at the end where they tell you what happened to the other characters. Is where I'm getting a lot. Of, so. I yeah. just, all of that seems kind of like it was added for the movie and mm-hmm. not really a part of the story. Cause it doesn't, cause the other thing that didn't happen was, um, Robert Hansen didn't get it. One of the things that's happened in the movie is they stake him out. He realizes they're staking him out. And so he takes his kid and, oh, by the way, Catherine Lanasa played the Yeah, wife. I was going to say, are you going to mention your good friend Catherine oh, yeah. Lanasa, who best, plays John Cusack's wife? Catherine Lanasa right. plays John Cusack's wife. She did such a good job. The way yeah. that she talked so quietly so that she didn't upset him. I yeah. just thought that was a brilliant choice. Anyway, so yeah. kudos to Catherine. Congratulations, girl. Um, but he takes his kid, gets in a plane, and takes the evidence with him to fly it out and you know, leave it at the cabin or abandon it. Yeah, and he takes his kid with him. It's so creepy. Yeah. It's kind of unclear. And that totally didn't happen. Like one of the things that happened in the actual crime was they, when they got his, when they broke his alibi, they brought him in to, to, to interrogate him and they searched his house and they found chapter and verse, everything they needed to -hmm. convict him. But to make it more dramatic, they had him take a lot of the evidence and dispose of it. And then he does this, Nicholas Cage keeps him, you know, keeps interrogating Mm -hmm. him, keeps grilling him so that they can continue searching the house. Mm -hmm. The search goes on for a long time. And apparently it was an exhaustive search. And it wasn't until the very last minute that they found everything. But um, they added a secret compartment in you know, above the garage and above the the attic in the garage and there mm-hmm. it all there it all was. It wasn't all there. And then the bracelet that the other woman that that is not in the other story. The uh early on in the movie yes, he meets we forgot with to the mention sister that. of yeah. somebody who was a victim who gives him her bracelet, she says, because I want you to remember her first. And then the bra this this bracelet is identical to the one that she would have been wearing, which yeah, is a very a cinematic setup. So then he brings neat, it in, yeah. bluffs him in the, all of that seemed very set up to me. And all of that seemed probably not true. So right. that was added for dramatic tension for the movie. And so I think since it came out of that, the other stuff probably didn't happen either. 
I, I also the detail from the true crime TV special, which I don't believe was in the movie, which was one of the more horrifying things about the case was that Robert Hansen gave some of the trophies from his kills, the earrings and the jewelry to his wife and his children. Yeah, I don't think that his was wife addressed and his daughter to wear yeah. so that he could see them without being a, without having to get his stash out to yeah. pour over them. But they did find the stolen um, trophies that he had reported for insurance right. fraud. So apparently that was something that was left out of the other story, because that seems like why add that to a movie, mm-hmm. um, except as a pretext for getting into that house because they downplayed the broken alibi. Right. You know, why did you ask these guys to lie to you was why they brought him in, or at least that's what they said they brought him in and the other. So it it's unclear, like, yeah. because there's an X factor added to this, but none of those things are about Cindy. All of those things are about dramatic um, license. Right. And so I tend to discount those. Right. Yes, the absolutely. Cindy facts I tend to take into account, but there's, yeah, that whole thing with her, like... It was, uh, it's like our old friend D says, it was that kind of a hat on a hat. Mm-hmm. She's in the hospital and she runs away and then she's in his house and she runs. She just mm-hmm. keeps running away. And it yeah. was like, that just seemed a little bit like, yeah, that's, this isn't working out as well as you. And running away from safety. That was the problem. She ran away from the hospital where she was under police protection and she, you know, where was she going to go? I mean, that's the thing. To get her stuff from the pimp's yeah. house. Like, you know, like really, uh-huh. he, he says to her, I'll go with you tomorrow and we'll get it. And yeah. she can't wait to get her stuff from the pimp's house what would that be exactly her you know her diamond tiara like what's at the pimp's house that's that you've even got to have again those just seemed a little contrived to me yeah so um we've we've kind of wrapped up the film i mean and i think as you said i was shocked by some of the title cards at the end because they suggested oh oh wow okay they really did do their research a lot of this was not in the true crime tv special but it's actually true and they're attesting yeah. to it in these in these codas on the movie let me read some here from the interview with director writer scott oh, yeah. walker that's that's really interesting i did yeah that's an interesting addition to all of this uh, he said, "I had a cor- he was an advertising executive who had never directed a film before, but he'd done a lot of work with sort of graphic design and, and video game companies. And he really, this was a dream project of his. He said, I had a court researcher, a journalistic researcher working on this, trying to find me case files before I phoned the real cop. And that's Glenn Flotha, portrayed by Nicolas Cage, to right. see whether he was even interested in helping. If he wanted to help me, then I'd follow the story and see where it took me. If he said no... I'd write a comedy or do something else and find another project. It was very important to me that this was told with their involvement and support. I was interested in the drama behind this. I didn't want to do this as a thriller horror. I think that really shines through. I think it is a drama. I think he's right. Um, I always thought of this film as more in terms of films like The Accused. If you don't know that film, it's Kelly McGillis and Jodie Foster. It's about a rape case. Yes. I love that movie. Really intense. Yeah. So he goes to Alaska. He meets with Floth. Um, This is February 2009. They meet for three hours over coffee. And he makes clear, this is Scott Walker, I wanted to tell the victim's story, not glorify what Hanson did. I wanted to tell it with as much truth as I could and as much honor and respect to the people who were involved. Um, And to do it from that angle. And that's when Flotha said, I'll help you and I'll give you everything I've got. He didn't want his name to be used. There it is, because he said he'd just done his job and didn't see himself as a hero. Oh. Yeah. Wow. 
He said, if I had to give him any money to give it to a children's charity or a crisis center, which I did. Uh, and so, ironically, wow. this is what allowed, this is Scott Walker hero. only for, right. Scott Walker said the same thing. What a hero. Um, he's now a very close friend and he's seen the film and sent me an amazing email saying how pleased he was with how I managed to stay true to our original conversation. The last thing he said to me was, I'll help you with anything you want. But the reality is that from my perspective, I'm not the hero. Cindy Paulson is the hero, and you need to find her. He hadn't spoken to her for 25 years at that point. After a while, this is Scott Walker talking, I managed to track her down, and she'd never spoken to anybody about this case. She'd never seen a therapist. She'd never even told her family about what happened. So I ended up talking to her. This is a movie right here, right? So I ended up talking to her and I went to where she lived at the time and interviewed her for about 50 hours over five days. We started from when she was born to where she is now. Every night she would go home and tell her husband everything she told me. She said, look, if any of this ends up in a film, he needs to know about it in advance. He's never been one to press me about this whole story because he knows what it means to me. So it sounds like her husband had some sense that she was at least connected to the Hansen case. Right. She sent me a beautiful letter afterwards saying she felt like a weight had been lifted. It was something about her relationship with Flotha that was really genuine. He really cared and nobody else did. And that's unfortunately too common. And here we get to what I referenced earlier. There are scenes in the film like when Glenn talks about his sister dying. Uh, That's a true story. It's exactly the way I put it in the film. It was kind of a coincidence about their real life experience. I would go back to both of them about a lot of things in the script to get their guidance tonally and tastefully and say, do you mind if I put this in? Or I want to shoot in this location. What do you think about that? They're the ones who mattered most to me about the film. So there you go. I mean, I think that's... You know, well, I, you know, by and large, I think it was a pretty good adaptation. I, I yeah. think that they, they embellished it in some ways, um, to make it into, uh, another story. I really think it was a great choice not to dye John Cusack's hair red. Mm-hmm. Like I really, I applaud them for that because it's not a very important detail and right. re- he would have looked terrible. Um, it would have been. You know, it would just have been hinky. Um, and I like that they, I, I love that you found that interview with the with the director because that really does kind of make some stuff seem like, okay, well, that's good. You know, because yeah. the thing that was the most, the thing that I liked the best about this was that it was about that detective caring about somebody who had never really had anybody care about her before. Right. Yeah. And that really, to me, became the underlying story of this. And, you know, together they were able to and write this terrible wrong. Mm-hmm. But it was that innate compassion and the bravery of both of those people yeah. that brought it about. To me, that made it a pretty good film. I thought they did a nice job. And I thought Vanessa acquitted herself very well. To be I thought she did a girl. great job. I thought she did yeah. a great job. I, 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 fraught question. Why don't you think it did better? I honestly think that, like, who's her audience wasn't going to be drawn into it. Nick Cage is yeah. does fifteen movies a year, so there's no real, you know what I mean? Like he does, he's in everything, right? So I don't think he is the draw that he once was. Like, I don't think he's. I don't think somebody would say, "Oh, it's a Nick Cage film. I'm not going." But it doesn't have that unique quality, and with her. I think that the audience, her traditional audience, 
would not have been either reached or appealed to by the film. And nobody else knows who she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think that they didn't do the draw. Also, I was really shocked when I saw that 50 Cent was in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, because there was no mention of that. That, that right. was very, that was a surprise development. It's not the best character, but he does a nice job. He does a nice know, job, of, but yeah, it was, a, it was a, a little person, cringy. Was, yeah, playing yeah, a black It was pimp, a little it cringy. Like, it was very yeah. much a pimp character. Yeah. So it's not the most, so I can see why they didn't promote it a great deal. But yeah, I think that if it had happened um, three and a half years later, mm-hmm. A little, if it was post Me Too, I think that that would have done a lot better because I, it's a, yeah. it has a lot of qualities of that without being preachy because it's pre Me Too. Mm-hmm. It it has a lot of qualities that are about addressing that, not paying attention to the victim, not right. listening to people demonizing sex workers. Characters. Right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole host of things that are that are very much we're more sensitive to now and. I think that it might have had a bigger impact if it had come out three years later, like after the Trump tapes. Also, I I, I don't think she's on the poster. I, I may be wrong about that, but I think it's just the two guys on the poster. And I'm like, that's that's a disappointing marketing choice for a movie that's really about elevating the female voice in this case that, that really kind of brought the case. Yeah, I didn't even realize landing. it was Vanessa Hudgens until yeah. the movie was until I was watching the movie. Yeah. Like I saw the things you saw. I was like, "Oh, this is." A I Nick just Cage thought I was so film. impressed with the camera work and the direction. The direction was flawless. And when I talk, it's like a movement of what's in the actual frame and the shot and all those choices. It wasn't just about cinematography. It was a dynamic. It was you know, interesting that he's in advertising. Yeah, absolutely. Because I there is a, there is something about that. Ridley Scott mm-hmm. was did advertisements before he did right. movies. You know what I mean? Like there was something about having to narrow your focus down to a minute or 30 seconds or whatever that mm-hmm. I think really heightens a director's um, mise-en-scene or whatever it's called. Mise-en-scene. His sense of mise-en-scene. how he's framing things up. You're right. Um, and I think that it may have worked to this guy's advantage as well. I, it, it, was, it was worth the watch. I was, I was very pleased with it. So next week we are doing something wow. very Next exciting. week is huge. Next week we keep a promise. Yeah, we get kept a promise. We promised a month ago that we would mm-hmm. do this. And next week we keep the promise. And boy, is it a big deal. Uh, we have been contacted by a detective from the Los Angeles Police Department uh, from their homicide division regarding our discussion of the Billy Newton murder, which is a 30-year unsolved homicide of a gay man here from West Blew Hollywood. Us away. Yeah, and he got in touch with us, and he has agreed to give us an interview, and we are going to find out what he can share with us about the case and what he thinks of what we have managed to churn up. Uh, episodes 48, I believe, and episode 60 are deeper dives into the Billy Newton case, if you want to scroll back and, and uh, check those out. Um, but we are, and he, and, and yeah, th- so this is a, a Billy Newton update. We've been carrying this on since, well, since before the 30th anniversary in October, yeah. since we actually last summer, we're talking about the, um, we were inspired by the Michelle McNamara story. The, right. Uh, I'll the, be gone in the dark, the, dark. the HBO documentary. Right. Yes. And, and it inspired us to look at crimes that interested us. And this was one of them, an unsolved murder in our neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. 1990 right and uh so we put it 
you know, we discussed it. We created a tip line. We got a tip. Mm-hmm. We aired it, and the police got in touch with us. Yeah. So we are. And we are now really, the police detective yeah. is going. Yeah. This is. We this are is really big happy and grateful that he was willing to do this. So on our next episode, you'll find out what he had to say to us and about us and about Billy. Yeah. So. So excellent. yeah, true crime TV can I'm becomes. Real our third crime. Billy Newton episode, right? Our third right. look into the murder of Billy Newton, which has gone 30 years without a major lead or being solved. So hopefully the conversation will advance that cause going forward. Here's hoping. And, Anything we can do to help. Until then. But wow. I'm, yeah. We and, got this far. <laughs> I know, right? Sorry. I, I know. I don't want to roll over you because we really should be proud. Like, oh shit. You I know, am like, just, it still blows me away that yeah. the police contacted us still blows me away. Yeah, absolutely. And they will be with us next week. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.